Turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah 38. I read an interesting poem this week written by M.R. DeHaan. It was in a Christmas card given to me by the sister and brother-in-law of Bobby Smith. I thought you'd like it. What's all this hectic rush and worry? Where go these crowds who run and scurry? Why all the lights, the Christmas trees, the jolly fat man, tell me please. Why don't you know? This is the day for parties and for fun and play. Why, this is Christmas. So this is Christmas, do you say? But where is Christ this Christmas day? Has he been lost among the throng, his voice drowned out by empty song? No, he's not here. You'll find him where some humble soul now kneels in prayer, who knows the Christ of Christmas. But see the many aimless thousands who gather on this Christmas day, whose hearts have never yet been opened or said to him, come in to stay. In countless homes, the candles burning, in countless hearts, expected yearning for gifts and presents, food and fun and laughter till the day is done. But not a tear or grief or sorrow for him so poor he had, no, he had to borrow a crib, a colt, a boat, a bed, where he could lay his weary head. I'm tired of all this empty celebration, of feasting, drinking, recreation. I'll go instead to Calvary, and there I'll kneel with those who know the meaning of that manger low, and find the Christ this Christmas. I leap by faith across the years to that great day when he appears the second time to rule and reign, to end all sorrow, death, and pain. In endless bliss, we then shall dwell with him who saved our souls from hell and worship Christ, not Christmas. Dr. M. R. DeHaan, great radio Bible preacher of many years gone by, the author of Chemistry of the Blood. He was a physician who had a national, international radio broadcast for many years. And I appreciate those words. And surely, as we look back over the Christmases past and think of the years gone by, we can think of much folly and some things we could have done a little bit differently. As we come to this, the last Sunday of the year, I want to speak on the subject when the candle burns low or just two more days and then what? And I am lighting two candles here at the front for those of you who listen by radio. These candles represent the two days we have left. And I want you to think this morning Suppose those two candles representing two days that are left, that's all I had left in my life. What would I do? Now the answer to that has much to do with what we will do in 1992 if the Lord tarries 
and if our heart continues to beat beyond midnight Tuesday night. May we pray. Our Father, we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us as we study thy word, as we think of that great question, two more days, and then what? When the candle burns low, may there be some high resolves in our lives to follow the Christ the King, elsewhere forborn. We pray for some within the sound of my voice who have never confessed Christ as their Savior, that they would have the conviction of the Holy Spirit to do it today. In, in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I'm reading from Isaiah 38. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days fifteen years, and I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city, and this shall be a sign unto you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees which is gone down on the sundial of Ahaz ten degrees backward. So the sun returned ten degrees by which degrees it was gone down. That's a marvelous passage. And you'll remember that Hezekiah was a good king. He was a, one of the outstanding kings of Israel. And he had walked before the Lord in righteousness. Keep in mind that the Lord causes it to rain on the just and the unjust alike. That the calamities that come to the unjust also come to the just. That the same tears that fill the hearts and minds and lives of those who are without Christ, fill the lives and minds and hearts and tears and eyes of those who are in Christ. And just because a man is a Christian, he is not exempt from physical pain or financial difficulty, nor depression, nor the valley of the shadow, nor of death itself. So there came a time in Hezekiah's life when he was sick. And Isaiah was told by the Lord, you go and tell King Hezekiah to set his house in order. He's going to die and not live. Isaiah was obedient, went before the king, and said to the king, I have some news for you from the Lord. I'm thankful for a bold man like Isaiah, like Elijah, like John the Baptist, who were not ashamed and not afraid to stand before potentates and kings and little men and big men and say what God had said. And Isaiah said, I have a message from the king to King Hezekiah. God said to set your house in order because you're going to die and not live. This illness will be terminal. And then Isaiah left. Now remember, Hezekiah knew how to pray. He was a godly king. 
He turned his face to the wall and began to weep before the Lord. And his whole life was rehearsed before God. Some of us would do that and we would be in trouble. We'd have to say, Lord, I've been neglecting you and I've been out of fellowship with you. I've not walked before you like you told me to do. I've not obeyed the will of God. I've not followed close to you. I've had habits in my life that have defiled you and others. But not so with Hezekiah. And he turned his face to the wall and wept and told God all about his need and his heart cry. I'm not sure that Hezekiah actually asked God for more life. But God heard him. God looked in. I'm so glad we have a God in heaven that looks beyond our words and listens to our heart. And he sees what is wise and best for us. And he looked into Hezekiah's heart. He saw really what Hezekiah was saying. I don't think it was exactly that Hezekiah was afraid to die. I think he was in the same vein of faith as Job who said, if a man die, shall he live again? I will wait until my change come. I know that my Redeemer liveth. And though the skin worms destroy this flesh, yet in my flesh shall I see God. I believe he was a man of faith. Nonetheless, God looked into his heart and he said to Isaiah, as Isaiah was going out of the court of the palace, he said, you go back and go knock on the king's door and ask an audience with him again. And here's what you're to tell him. When you get there, I'll tell you what to tell him. And so Isaiah went back into the throne room where Hezekiah was sick. He said, O king, I have a second message from the Lord. God said that he has heard your cry. He has seen your tears. And he's going to grant you 15 additional years. And this will be a sign to you. There's a sundial out there that Ahaz put there. And so you'll know that it's really going to happen. I'm going to cause the sundial to go back 10 degrees. That's a monumental miracle. No sundial's ever gone back. Now we won't go on today with Hezekiah's life. Hezekiah had been a good king, but those last 15 years were not so good. He became gullible, and instead of walking close to the king, he listened to what others said. And some spies came to see what was going on in Jerusalem and to seek out all the riches and wealth. He was apparently unaware of what they were doing and he took them all into his throne room and into his palatial palace and into the treasure house, showed them all the treasures of Israel. And Isaiah heard about it and Isaiah came and rebuked the king. He said, did you not know those were spies? They came to spy out what Israel has. And the last years of Hezekiah were sad years. It would almost have been wise had he died when he was sick. For in those last years, he gave the secrets of Israel away. He had battles with the enemy kings. Finally died in a leprous condition. But I want to present to you this thought from this passage. Suppose 
God should come to you if you'd listen to him. Even this very morning, I would say, set your house in order. You just have two days left, Monday and Tuesday. When midnight comes Tuesday night, that will be the close of your life here in the earth. What would you do? How would you react to that? When the candle of life burns low, what will you do? This represents Monday. This represents Tuesday. Not very much longer. Somebody wrote this. The clock of life is wound but once. And no man has the power to tell just when the hands will stop at late or early hour. To lose one's wealth is sad indeed. To lose, lose one's health is more. To lose one's soul is such a loss that no one can restore. Thirty-nine people died while I read this short poem. Every hour, many go out to meet their maker. You might be one of them. Sooner or later, you will be. Someone handed me this little thought. I have no yesterdays. Time took them away. Tomorrow may not be, but I have today. Now, what will I do with the day? I want to suggest five or six things that I hope every one of us could put into practice in our lives as we think of the limited time we may have. If I only had two days to live, number one, I'd want to be sure that all the grudges of my heart were patched up. We're so human, so mortal, that we hold grudges. And then we are so fakeish that we pretend like the grudges are not there and we put on a false smile. Reminds me of the way Japan did just before Pearl Harbor, while the, fly, while the planes were already, had left their launching point and were flying toward Hawaii, the Japanese leaders were in Washington negotiating with a smile. Sometimes we do that. We pretend toward each other. Let's do away with the pretense. Let's put aside all those little grudges and hurts that we've had accumulated through the years Lay them aside as a tattered old garment that we don't need any longer and put it down and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. One of the secrets of a joy-filled life, life filled with the Holy Spirit, is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption, but let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. Are you praying this morning? Do you have an open cup that you could receive the word that God is giving to us through this brief word?
tension. If we only had two days left, wouldn't you like to get rid of all those grudges? All those old harbored ill wills? Somebody has hurt you through the years. Why don't you forgive them? Somebody's done you wrong. Why don't you forgive them? Somebody has betrayed you. Why don't you forgive them? Somebody has defiled you. Why don't you forgive them? One of the most tragic things of our age is the abuse of children. Tragic. We hear more and more of it. In the years that I've served you, I've had occasion from time to time to counsel with adults who themselves were abused when they were children. It's amazing how much bitterness and scars written on their minds. And it's led them to do all kinds of strange things and have strange behavior. And they, behave, they blame their behavior on abuse when they were children. Now you can reach out in sympathy to them and you can pray with them and you can understand how they would be hurt. But there's an old adage that says every tub has to sit on its own bottom. And when you reach the age of maturity and you become an adult, you'll have to stop blaming your hangups on your past and on your children, on your parents, or your aunt or your uncle or somebody along the way. You'll need to come to grips with the fact that that's a thing that happened. It might have left some scars. It might have left some hurts. But by the grace of God, you're going to meet the Lord one day. You don't want to go into the Lord's presence and say, Lord, I'm bringing all these scars and scratches and all this old harbored bitterness and ill will I've had toward people who have hurt me through the years. And here it is, God. I'm mean and mad and inside I feel terrible about it. Why don't you bring it to him now and not have to come into his presence one day with all that stuff? If we just had two days to live, could we drop all those grudges all those hang-ups, all those ill wills, all those things that have hurt us and who has not been hurt and just bring it to Jesus and leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Secondly, if we just had two days to live, I'd want to be sure that I knew the message of the Word of God. This is a marvelous book. This is a book that has defied the skeptics of the ages. It has been burned, it has been banned, it has been spoken against. Voltaire in his day said, in just a few years, the Bible will be remembered no more. In the early years of Russian communism, Stalin and Lenin and the others stomped out the Bible and burned them and banned them and said it is against the law to read the Word or to have the Bible. And you remember all those stories of underground evangelism, how the Bibles were smuggled in and some people were arrested for smuggling the Bibles into Russia? Well, I want to ask you, where is Stalin today? He's dead. Where's Lenin today? He's dead. Where's, where are all the other Khrushchevs and the other leaders of communism? They're gone. And now the hearts of the Russian people are hungry and they're saying, send us missionaries, send us Bibles. The Bible stands. Beloved, I'd want to know the message of the Word of God. 
And so I want to challenge you in 1992, if the Lord gives you more than two more days, to begin a program of reading the Bible through in 92. Reading every page of it, starting with Genesis, going through the 50 chapters of Genesis, and Exodus, and on to Malachi, and then through Matthew, and closing with the 22nd chapter of Revelation. Read it through, find what it says. It would be sort of hurtful to come into God's presence. and God would say, well, what did you do about such and such a thing? Well, Lord, I did not supposed to do that. Did you not read my love letter to you? I wrote several times to you about it. Well, Lord, I never bothered to read the letter. I was too busy. When you get a love letter from some sweetheart or for somebody you've been missing, been away from for a long time, you read it. I know some people, I've watched them as I drive down the road, they'll go to the mailbox, they'll get their mail out and stand right there by the mailbox and get a knife and open the letters and just read it right there. We lay the Bible on a table either by our bed or in the living room or on a bookshelf somewhere. Sometimes we carry it to church and we're so busy we just lay it down and forget to use it. That's the reason I ask you to open the Bible when we preach and we have the Sunday school lesson. Check or read it along with the, with the preacher and with the teacher. Read what God says. Did you know that God says the tithe is the Lord's? That means all these boys and girls over here, did you know that a tithe of everything you get belongs to God? How do you know that, preacher? Because God said it right here. And one day you're going to stand before God and God will say, what would you do about the tithe, Ronnie? What would you do about it? Well, Lord, I didn't think that applied to little children. Yes, sir, it applies to everybody. The tithe is the Lord's. And God will say, why'd you steal from me all those years? Lord, what do you mean stealing from me? Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me with your tithes and offerings? I'd read the word. Know the message of God, what God is saying. Did you know the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God? What are we going to do about all the barnyard language that is used today by God's people? Filth, trash coming out of people's mouths. Lies, hypocrisies, cursings, abusings. Brethren, these things ought not to be. You say, how do you know they ought not to be? Because God said, thou shalt not. God said it. What are you going to do about it? Well, Lord, I didn't know about that. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. I heard it somewhere. My mother said I shouldn't, but she's just a woman. All the men that I know say these things, and all the crowds do it, and they say it on television, they say it in the movies, everybody does it. But God said, thou shalt not. What will you do about that? I would read the word of God, hide its message in my heart. Read it from Genesis to Revelation. Find out what God requires. Listen to his message. You'll never regret that. Thirdly, I want to be sure my sins are confessed. I don't want to go into the presence of God with a bunch of sins that are unconfessed, even among God's people. You see, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We do not have to wait to go to mass or to go to the confessional to confess our sins. We need to confess them when we commit them just that quickly. Now there's not anyone among us who's not going to be troubled with sin. Everybody among us, everybody in this auditorium, everybody within the sound of my voice, we're troubled with sins of commission, sins of omission, sins that we commit, sins of things we do not do that we should do. Now we need to confess these. You say, doesn't God know about them already? Sure he does, but he wants to hear us tell him, Lord, they're wrong. You have a little child, maybe a grandchild, and that child misbehaves, does something's wrong, maybe takes something that doesn't belong to him, says some sass thing, some ugly thing to you. Well, that child knows that's wrong. And after a while, the child sort of tries to make up. And uh, because you have a benevolent spirit, you sort of make up with the child. But if you do the right thing, you'll not entirely make up until that child comes to you and says, I'm sorry, I did this thing, I was wrong. And you teach that child to confess wrongdoings. And then the fellowship is restored. You already know they've done wrong. But somehow an added blessing when they come to you and confess it. Now God is our Heavenly Father and He wants us to confess every sin to Him. Every one of them. Fourthly, I want to plan to live a thousand years. At least a hundred years. I don't think we ought to plan to live just 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or 50 years. I think we ought to plan to live a lifetime, however long that is. I read about a lady that died this week. She was 101. I remember Brother Stevens who drove his car around Bowling Green when he was 114. I think we ought to live, plan to live a long time. And in planning to do that, we need to build into our lives certain patterns that will ensure that we'll live that long. And we need to plan what we're going to do. Plan about our marriage. Plan about our homes. Plan about the things we need. Plan our jobs. Plan all the things out in life. A person that doesn't have a life plan is going to have a lot of problems. There ought to be certain goals. Hitch your wagon to a star. Keep looking up. Believing God. I believe this church ought to do that. The Lord may come tonight. He may come before Tuesday night at midnight. He may come this very day. Even so come Lord Jesus. But even as premillennialists, we believe in the glorious second coming of Jesus. I believe we ought to plan to live on and on and on. A good example of that is a precious lady in our church who has terminal cancer. She's been bouting with it for a number of years. 
And after she discovered she had this, she decided she was going to complete her degree to get her teacher's certificate. She got it and went on serving and went on teaching. And even now, with that cancer moving in closer and closer, she's planning what she's going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day until the Lord says that's enough, come on home. We have another lady in our church who has leukemia. She had been planning to build a house and she said to me, what should I do about that? I said, I think you ought to go on and plan to build it. And so she's building her house. I believe we ought to plan as if we're going to live on and on and on. Make those plans. The church ought to do that. Beloved, we need a building program. We need an expansion program. I would like to suggest that we set a goal of, uh, in the Partners in Progress of at least $100,000 in this coming year. Maybe by June. We have 68 in it now. We ought to go on to $100,000 and then have that much toward what we need to do, toward expansion and toward building. And the church ought to adopt that and say we're going to do it by the grace of God. I'd like to see our church have a television outreach. Thank God for the expanded radio ministry. The same service is being broadcast from five to six this evening over another radio, broad, radio network. And I'd like to see us reach out and have this same broadcast over in other cities across our nation. Now, in order to support all that, we need to plan time. Every one of us. See, nobody is exempt. If every one of us would bring to God's house on his day, his tithe, there'd be more than enough. We need to do it. Plan, plan, plan. And then last of all, we need to be sure that we're on a course that leads to heaven. Because we don't know how long we've got. You see, these candles are gonna burn low. And when the candle of life burns low, then what will you do? There's a little candle right here representing the last part of our life. And when the candle of life has burned very low, that's all the time you have left. And that may be true. We may be meeting in some funeral home this week in honor of one of you, either here in this room or by radio. Now, I want to encourage you to be sure that you're on your way to heaven. When the candle of life burns low, do you know beyond any question that you're going to go to heaven when you die? Will you say, preacher, I had some kind of a June bug experience years ago. I got a flitter in my liver and I felt a little bit better and I cried some tears, but it never did change my life. What about that? I don't know. I wouldn't go on that. I'd be very careful about that. You see, just because you can look back at some date on a calendar and say, well, I got uh, some kind of experience that day and I went down and I got baptized and so on, but it's never changed my life. I don't love people anymore. It doesn't change the way I live. It hadn't helped me with any of my habits. 
I'd want to come to Jesus again and say, now, Lord, I don't know whether that was real back there. If it was, praise you. I want to get back going with you. But, Lord, if it wasn't real, I want to get on the train going to heaven. I want to come to the cross of Christ and believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I yield my life to thee right now. I give it to you and I repent of all my sins. And beloved, when you're willing to do that, Christ receiveth sinful men. And he'll give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. He'll give you power to change your life. In the Christmas tree service the other day, two of our men gave a word of testimony right in the middle of that music. And they said, God changed my life from emptiness to joy. Emptiness? Well, they were young men, had life out there, had everything they could want, had all kinds of stuff going for them, but they were empty, empty. Beloved, that describes the man outside of Christ. But when Jesus comes in, he fills your life with assurance and joy and the comfort of God. And then, I'd want to be sure that I have confessed Christ as my Savior. It's a sad thing to stand at a funeral. I never get used to them. Always take something out of you. But it's exceedingly hurtful when you stand by a casket of a man or a woman who has never confessed Christ openly, never taken a public stand, and never followed the Lord in baptism. That doesn't mean baptism gets you to heaven, but it leaves a trail of testimony that says, I have burned the bridges behind me. I have confessed Christ, and I'm going on with God. And how precious to be able to say that at a time of a memorial hour. If you're here today and that's never been true in your life, why don't you today settle it? And say, when the candle of life burns low in my life, I'm going to, I'm going to, have a checklist that I've done these things and especially I am on my way to Emmanuel's land as we began the service while ago we sang come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known join in the song of sweet accord and thus surround the throne we're marching to Zion beautiful beautiful Zion we're marching upward to Zion that beautiful city of God are you on that march today or are you going the other way why not today turn to Christ? May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. With our heads bowed and eyes closed in prayer. Would you ask God what he would have you do with this message this morning? First of all, would you commit yourself to Jesus? to say, Lord, I give my heart to you. I want to trust you as my Savior. I want to walk with you. If you let me live beyond Tuesday, I want to walk with you into the new year with my hand in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus. And I'm going to take a stand for you. If you are a Christian, could you say, Lord, I want to get rid of all these grudges. I want to read the Word of God in 1992. I want to read it through. I want to have a thirst for souls. I want my life to count. Our Father, help us 
to take seriously the message you gave Hezekiah in the long ago, set thine house in order for thou shalt die and not live. And that's verily true of every one of us. Some will die before others. <coughs> we do not have anything written that tells us how long we're gonna be here. So help us to be ready. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you stand please? Only trust him. Page 312. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. He will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Would you come to Jesus just as you are today? While we begin to sing, who will step out for the king? Will you come quickly? God help you to do it.